and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire, who seems to have a tuning fork in the background by the sound of it. <laughs> uh, this is also the podcast, by the way, that has spent months complaining that there was too much football on TV and is now really missing football on TV. Um, <laughs> Although I can highly recommend When Eagles Dare on Amazon Prime. Although, Kieran, I wouldn't watch episode four if I was you. Oh, is that Poogate? It is Poogate, yes. But more importantly, is there's some long, loving close-ups of the two goals that we score against you. <laughs> it's, a, it's a brilliant I wouldn't, I don't. I wouldn't really think that any non-Palace fans would love it, but it's a, it's a brilliant piece of work, I have to say. Anyway, uh, and I'm in it. Oh, I'm, actually, I'm wearing the same shirt now as I as I was uh, in the interview. Anyway, it's a little detail that makes this pod uh, unwinnable when it comes to awards. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you'd, if Chris Ramble did a pod, you wouldn't, you simply wouldn't have any clue what he was wearing. It's Questions Day, Kieran, and God bless our listeners. The questions this week have mostly gone from essay length to haiku, which is nice. Uh, we have a quick news story though, Kieran, and it's one that. It went under the radar a little bit, but Trevor Birch, boss of the EFL, called for an end this week to parachute payments and a much bigger slice of Premier League pie, much bigger. Yes, uh, the solution to all of the EFL's problems is to have somebody as, has to have twenty five percent of the Premier League's mm. TV money. Yeah, um, and it, it it may help. Um, experience uh, suggests that every time clubs in the EFL get more money, they spend it and more on wages. So mm. uh, the average wage uh, in the championship has uh, has gone up to around about seven hundred and fifty to eight hundred thousand pounds a year um, on the back of more money coming from the Premier League in the form of solidarity payments. So I, I think it's an oversimplification an oversimplistic approach. Um, should there be better distribution of money within football? Yes. Mm. But abolishing parachute payments and giving that money to the clubs in the championship isn't going to solve things. The, the, the clubs in the EFL, they voted for parachute payments themselves for clubs that get relegated from League Two to the, uh, to the National League. So if parachute payments are a problem per se... Then, then why are they having them? They've also got them if you if you drop from the championship to League One. Are they too high? I think that's a separate conversation. So um, I, I've been looking at the accounts of um, the uh, Cardiff City and Huddersfield, both of whom were relegated in 2019 and their accounts came out earlier this week. And, and both of them ended up with around about a, a 60% drop in income. Now, yeah, Trevor Birch's comments suggest that a 60% drop in income isn't enough and it should be higher um, by, by abolishing parachute payments. And, and the whole point about parachute payments is that they are there to stop clubs going bust when they get relegated. They're not there to make the championship more uh, more equitable. And, and that's an issue, I think, which should which can be addressed, but it has to be addressed on a much broader scale. Um, there, there's inequality within the Premier League itself. These proposals would make the Premier League more unequal than it is at present. Nobody's saying that 
clubs who qualify for the Champions League should give a quarter of their TV money to the other clubs in in the Premier League. Nobody's saying that the EFL deal, 25% of that should go to clubs in the National League. So to just have it addressing one area, I I think Mm. is is too narrow. Um, I'd certainly be keen for a much broader uh, recalibration of the finances, and then all parachute payments would disappear. Mm. <clears throat> it's worth stressing as well, Kieran, that as you said there, contrary to a lot of fans' belief, uh, the parachute payments, as you say, are there to help clubs not to go bust. They're not there to help them get back into the Premier League at the first opportunity, which is always this accusation that you're creating a sort of uh, Premier League B team, if you like, of, of six or seven teams that are always going up and down between the Championship and the Premier League, and that simply isn't the case, is it? No, well, you know, we, we, we've had 49 teams play in the Premier League, so that's indicative that it's not quite as yo-yo as mm. the narrative uh, that's put out. Does it give them an advantage? Yes, it does. Is it as big as the advantage as qualifying for the Champions League does, uh, for, for those clubs at the top of the Premier League? No, it's not, because uh, the numbers involved are a lot smaller. So um, I, I think we need a, a proper analysis what this is. I mean, and if, if I was a uh, if if I was an owner of a club in the championship, and somebody said to me, "Let's let's propose to take twenty five percent of the Premier League TV deal money," I'd, I'd vote for it. I, I, it's perfectly <laughs> understandable. You know, who, who wouldn't? You know, if if we if we were offered twenty five percent of uh, producer guy's share of oh uh, this podcast money. We'd we'd take it. So um, it's um, it, it, it's it's understandable. You know, give, giving give me more money is always uh, is always something we we like. But I, I think uh, it's it's too simplistic. It's too populist, and it needs to have a much broader analysis of the finances. Uh, you know, I. I, I, I did an, I did some calculations a, a month or two ago, suggesting that the uh, that the commercial money and the the brought the uh, the match day money in the Premier League was split sixty forty, and then give twenty percent, then give twenty five percent to clubs in in the Championship, um, and and that went down like a lead balloon. And again, mm. I fully understand why, because mm. everybody ultimately is is operating. Um, in self-interest, no, no clubs have gone bust since you know, since parachute payments were introduced. Mm. From those clubs that have been relegated, uh, you know, during the time that they've had the parachute payments, and and what yeah, and you have, you have to ask yourself, what is the purpose of a parachute? It's there when you jump off a cliff to stop you from smashing yourself on the floor below, and and it and it achieves that. Um, does it create some inequalities? Yes, but football is unequal. Newcastle United would always have a better chance when they get relegated of getting straight back up to the championship than Rotherham, who are mm. already in the championship, for example. And that's nothing to do with parachute payments. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> to save any skydiving members of our community tweeting in, we, we probably are aware that you shouldn't jump off a cliff with a parachute. They, just, just I know some of our... Younger listeners are quite susceptible to suggestions, but you know, out of a plane possibly. But if nothing else, Kieran, you've woken producer guy from his Sunday afternoon slumber 
<laughs> he just suddenly heard 25% of the money going to us. And he'll sat up, bolt upright in his chair, check the cricket score, and then listen back to make sure we weren't planning anything. Now, <laughs> it's, it's questions time, Kieran. And we've had, uh, I think it's fair to say we've had a top-level board meeting and decided that a fourth straight pod in a row without Derby County would be simply unfeasible. Because um, <laughs> Derby fans on Twitter do seem to panic a little bit. Um, no news isn't good news for Derby fans, it turns out. Uh, so I'd like to thank Michael Pritchett for this question. Michael points out that Derby County are under an embargo, but what does that actually mean for bringing players in, especially free agents? Is it a simple, straightforward no, or is a wage limit allowed if you bring players in? Um, they're, they're, but Derby County will have made some players... Uh, well, they will have released them from their contracts, so that will have freed up some space uh, in, in terms of the wage bill. But effectively, the transfer embargo means that you are, I think the rules are you cannot pay a player more than £12,000 a week, um, which is, is lower than the Derby average. Mm. Um, and I think all transfers have to be approved by the EFL as well. And, and this, this is understandable. And the reason why Derby is subject to, to present sanctions is that they've they've not published their account since 2018, and we're now in June 2021. So they're, they're, they're two years uh, behind in terms of publication. Um, and this is one of the the approaches taken, um, and I believe the EFL has done that to some other clubs as well, who are uh, yet to publish their accounts. Though it is noticeable that we've had a bit of a rush uh, over the course of the last seven to ten days. Uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that Huddersfield and Cardiff's accounts have just come out. Coventry's came out recently as well, and I think they announced on public on on social media that they were therefore no longer subject to uh, uh, an embargo. So it uh, sometimes it's it's sort of one out, one in, mm. um, and in others uh, it has to be scrutinised uh, by the EFL, which which makes it more difficult for the club to sign. If you, if you're a player and you've got a choice of going to two to three clubs one of whom is free to offer whatever it wishes and the other one has to have an approved deal and an approved ceiling, then it's an easier decision to make from the player's point of view. So you know, I'm hoping that Derby County you know, hurry things up, get their accounts out, um, and that will allow Wayne Rooney to, to recruit with a bit more flexibility over the summer. Well, it seems he has to as well because uh, there's some London news organisations reporting that Derby are interested in Gary Cahill. Uh, who's a free agent from us now in the summer. Uh, and they desperately need him because they seem to have no defenders whatsoever on their books at the moment. So yeah, uh, they need to sort that out. And they, but again, this is one of those long-term results of short-term thinking by club owners, isn't it? But um, Josh Burridge has a simple question about Southampton. Uh, with a potential purchaser, Joseph de Grosser, reportedly walking away from buying the club, are you aware of any other interested parties? Yes. Oh, ah, ooh, that, that's okay. all I'm prepared to say. All right, let's leave it there. Let's let's keep Josh worrying then. Okay, fine. All right. Any particular in- reason why you can't tell us? It's just well, is it you? Um, is that it, what it is? Is, is it yeah, you and Guy? Put put, 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 put yeah. Put it, putting names into the public domain does no Fair good. Uh, but I'm, I'm aware that the club has been for sale to to a number of parties, um, and uh, periods of exclusivity may have ended. But I'd rather not say any more. Fair enough. Um, And speaking of interested parties, Keith Gray 
is one of a number of Newcastle fans very interested to know what Mike Ashley has made out of his party up there. Uh, Keith Kieran is looking into the numbers in depth, and we will bring those to you soon. In the meantime, if you could stop asking us on Twitter when we'll be doing it, that'd be great. It's soon. We are. We can't. It's. It, it's. It's seriously. It's one of those issues that takes a lot of looking into as to what's gone in and out of that club, and we are aware of of you, Keith, and other Newcastle fans want to know the answer, and we'll bring it to you just as soon as uh, Kieran and Guy have bought Southampton and got that off their chest. That would be great. And, and also it? that Newcastle have published their accounts, which we appear to be still waiting for. There you go. Wouldn't that be great if it was producer Guy who's buying Southampton, <laughs> and then three months down the line, one of our questions is why are Southampton players not getting paid <laughs> fourth in the Premier League and no, I haven't been paid for three months it's amazing um, James uh, Mann has a question uh, a specific question in January Matt O'Reilly joined MK Dons from Fulham after the two clubs agreed a training compensation package and James simply wants to know as I do what is a training compensation package Right. A training compensation package arises when a footballer is transferred. And now this doesn't have to be for a fee. So it could, could be a free transfer. It could be at the end of a contract um, from one club to another. He moves and he's under the age of 23. And um, what this is, is compensation for player development between the ages of 12 to 21. Um, and it is sort of based on you know a, a broad broad fee calculation, um, and that that always applies to the, to the first professional contract um, that a player signs, other than at his at his development club, as say up to the age of twenty three. So in the case of Matt O'Reilly, he joined Fulham at the age of eight. Um, and then they, they've decided, uh, you know, they're, they're happy for him to move on. So, so Wickham will be paying uh, some compensation for all the hours of training at the at the Fulham Academy um, that uh, that matters uh, had during his career to date. Mm. Wickham can pay it if they want, but he went to MK Dons, didn't he? Just to. Yes. Yeah. Just uh, again, I'm just. I, I just want to avoid a, a tweet situation on a, on a Monday afternoon, Kieran. You know, it's like that. The more we can head off the past, the better it is for the, for the safety and security of both of us on a Monday morning. And you just go, oh, just trying to help here. Sorry, we get the occasional fact wrong. Although we do deal with facts, so perhaps we should get most facts right. Kieran. <laughs> um, John Wilson asks: To what extent? Has the collapse of Sheffield United shirt sponsor USG adversely affected the club's finances and or reputation? And the reputation one is a, an interesting part of that question, isn't it, Kieran? I think. Yes. Um, the, the USG issue is, uh, is a little bit concerning. Um, USG in Australia have gone bust. And I was reading an article this morning in the Australian press about a uh, $588 million or uh, um, um, sorry, uh, uh, Australian million million dollar scam, as it was said in the article, uh, which involved high risk betting projects where investors, especially Chinese investors, thought that they were buying into some form of uh, you know, more trading-based uh, investment, offering a 9.6 return. And my first reaction when I read that was, well, who would be daft enough to believe promises of a 9.6% 
return on any investment. Yeah, that is that is ridiculously high, but clearly there, there were enough people fooled. And then we look at uh, what happened with USG in Shanghai, where uh, the customers were so upset that they stormed the uh, they stormed the offices in Shanghai, hijacked the offices, and uh, the staff were held hostage. So th- this appears to be a company which has a a somewhat uh, shady background, but mm. USG in the UK is in theory independent oh. of USG uh, in Australia and Shanghai. But yeah, we all we all suffer reputational damage when you know because as far as investors are concerned, USG is USG. You know, when I if, you, if, you, if I buy an Apple iPhone here in the UK uh, and something bad happens to to Apple in, in the US, I'm I still think well that's that Apple's Apple as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the the direct impact on Sheffield United, USG signed a three year t uh, a three year sponsorship deal, which I think takes us through to 2022. It's worth around three and a half million pounds a year, but I suspect it's got a relegation clause embedded into it, which will which will reduce the money that's due for 21 22. As yet, uh, yeah, I'm I'm not aware of of any changes, and, and I took a look at the Sheffield United website this morning. And there were still plenty of pictures in, in players in, in USG kit. All, although I, I think that there, there was another potential sponsor for the for the women's team. Mm. Um, in, does it impact upon Sheffield United's reputational position? I would argue no. If, if and I think the the reason why I say that is if we go back to what happened with football index and QPR and Nottingham Forest. <coughs> Fair point. Yeah. Um, you know, both both clubs used the, that uh, that entity uh, for their front of shirt sponsorship. Um, when it went into administration, they, they terminated the deal. I know Forest have signed up uh, for new shirt sponsors for next season, and and I don't think anybody thinks any more or less of Forest and QPR as a result of this. So I, I don't think the club, in the form of Sheffield United, will have to worry about this. Um, yeah, I think their main concern is: Are USG going to honour the the third mm. year of the team of the, of the uh, sponsorship deal for the forthcoming season? I hope they do because it's one of the more natty sponsors on the front of a shirt, isn't it? Mm. It's yeah. it's quite a nice, neat little mod type one as well. Uh, and to answer a question very early on in your reply there, Kieran, if I was in charge of our finances, I'd be exactly the sort of idiot who invested in something offering nine point four percent return, which is exactly why I'm not in charge of our finances. Um, <laughs> is that not a lot? Is that too much? I mean, what would you? Yeah, what what would you expect then if you're investing a lot of money? Three percent, four percent? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think if 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 you were getting those types of returns, uh, and, and and all all investments carry a risk, we know that. But to to start quoting numbers uh, of that magnitude in what is a fairly subdued market at present, mm. I mean, certainly you can make a lot more. Yeah, there's there's been huge winners. Uh, as as a result of COVID, and there's been huge losers, of course. Um, but to, to to market a product with that type of return, yeah, your alarm bells should be uh, should be clanging away immediately. Yeah, it's, see, if I had a thousand pounds to invest, I'm one of those people who think it's it's hardly worth it to get thirty quid a year back. It's yeah, it's, it's, it's going to spend it. 
it's well, exactly. It's, it's why I'm not very good at horse racing. Is if it's my dad always tells me, oh, if I've got a tenner, there's no point in putting it on a horse if you're going to get twelve quid back. You might as well take a risk and get a hundred quid back. You never do, but it's part of the fun. But uh, it's interesting to know. I, I wouldn't have thought as a as a financial idiot that nine point four percent was was high. But I still, it's made me look differently those credit card adverts as well now, which says you have to pay back one hundred and fifty four thousand percent interest. Anyway, <laughs> Scott Rees Scott has a question, Kieran, which indicates exactly why it should be you that are asked the questions and not me, because Scott Rees's question is, how much debt are Barcelona and Real Madrid actually in, and are those debts a cause for concern? And if that question was directed at me, I would say, A, a shed load, B, not for me. <laughs> uh, and you'd be right. <laughs> yes, essentially. Yeah, you know, but I, I, that's that's the problem with the podcast. We could have a five minute pod where I go, "Yeah, loads, not really," and we could move on to the next question. Uh, F eight, yeah, amortization, and move on to the next question. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's 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 get back to our normal policy of me asking the questions and you answering. But because it's interesting, we 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 have glossed over. We we mentioned probably once a week. The, the sort of money that Barcelona and Real Madrid are losing without ever being slightly worried that it would could give the fans of those clubs any cause for concern about their future? Well, I think the first thing you need to do is to define debt. Ah, okay. Okay, and, and because it, it, it is... Um, if, if I was trying to stir things, which, of course, I would never do-ish, for Southampton fans, Kieran, who are now running around busily all over the place trying to find out what's happening to their club. <laughs> <laughs> that's, an ex- that's an exceptional bit of South Coast story. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of uh, Real Madrid and what they presently owe to the banks, it's only, uh, and I use the word only sort of in open quotations here, it's only 253 million euros in terms of pure debt. Right. But then they also owe significant amounts to some other, to non-bank suppliers, and they owe over 100 million euros in respect of outstanding uh, outstanding sums for transfers. Um, and they are committed to to borrowing large sums in respect of the uh, the uh, redevelopment of the ground. So, is is the debt horrendous at present? No. Um, debt. You know, I've always argued that debt is not a problem. The issue is, can you service the debt? And, yeah. and there's two elements yeah. to to dealing with debt. Um, if it's an interest only loan, which which most corporate loans tend to be, then can you make the interest payments? And if you are reaching the the date when you have to repay the capital, which is a bit like when you've got an interest only mortgage, for example, yeah. um, then what are you going to do there? And what we tend to see in business is that if you are perceived as being low risk by the bank, um, then they're quite happy just to to kick the debt down the road for another five to ten years because you know provided you're paying the interest yeah you know, what what else, if, if you if you repay a bank money what's it going to do with it it's just going to have to go and find somebody else to lend it to so yeah, if you're a good customer keep yeah. on lending extend the terms so I'm, I'm not particularly concerned about the existing level of debt um when we take a look at barcelona again you know their most recent figures i think 480 million pounds worth of bank debt but by the time you factor in all of the other creditors that takes it to around about 1 billion euros 
Is that horrendous? Well, it's it's probably around about 60% of what Spurs own. Oh, should I say? Oh, really? Okay. So um, I'm I'm not – I don't think it's – they're not in horrendous positions. They're certainly not in good positions, and and they have been – uh, they have been operating on the basis of being a cash cow, which clearly has been severely curtailed as a result of COVID, mm. as have many other industries operating in the service sector. You, know, you, you yourself, you, you operate in the in the entertainment sector and the ability to, to you know, you can't do live gigs, you can't do live appearances, um, as have theatres, cinemas mm. for a large period of time. You know, uh, the hospitality sector has been hit as well. So football is actually part of the hospitality sector. Mm-hmm. And what is, what's different about football is that the matches have been taking place. So therefore, you've got the costs of running the club in the form of the wages, but you've not got all of the revenues coming in. Whilst you've got the TV money and the commercial money to a large extent, the match day income for clubs such as Barcelona and Real Madrid, both of which have fantastic stadiums which and uh, huge capacity, has been significantly hit. Also, you're going to be a very brave Spanish bank if you're the one who calls in a loan on either of those clubs that causes any doubts about their future, aren't you? You'll lose a lot of a lot oh, yeah. of customers. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the goodwill, the goodwill loss yeah. for that bank would be uh, sensational. So that is something which is in Real Madrid's and Barcelona's favour. Uh, and if we if we link this to to Super League, why were those? Two clubs st- uh, still uh, resisting the uh, uh, the calls to to pull out of, of Super League. It was because they would have had a huge upfront payment from JP Morgan, and they're still hoping that uh, they'll be able to force through some form of fines against the other members of Super League who have now withdrawn from the process, and that will dig them out of, of the, the financial position that they're in, which which isn't great, but it, it's not the worst in the world mm. either. You've mentioned, Kieran, Real Madrid having a lot of money in outstanding sums for transfers before. I think you just said 100 million euros. Is that unique to them or is it something that big clubs, is that a model big clubs always work to, that they will wait as long as possible to, to spend money that they owe on transfer instalments? No, it, it, is, it is fairly common. I think uh, that Manchester United held the world record for this uh, in, uh, in I think about 2017, when when they topped out at 258 million sterling, so uh, buying players on credit uh, is is a way of uh, investing in the squad, but not necessarily damaging your cash flow to a huge extent. Mm. Um, and therefore, it, it is popular. Uh, you know, we're we're old enough to remember the days. You know, I, I, can, I can remember the first hundred thousand pound. Contra, uh, transfer fee uh, when, when I was a kid um, when yeah it, yeah it was a lot of money at the time but you you would pay the whole amount as uh, uh, as transfer fees have increased exponentially then more complex financial products have been introduced into uh, trying to alleviate cash flow problems it doesn't matter how big the club is probably with the mm. exception of Manchester City and Chelsea because of their ownership models but if if you are uh, if you are Barcelona and you've signed Coutinho for 142 million, it, you can't just write out a check there and then. It, it does have to be done on an instalment basis. Mm. You, you can remember the days of hundred thousand pound transfers, Kieran, because you're a teetotaler. 
<laughs> doesn't necessarily mean we can both remember them. Um, Charlie Bloxham has a question about the early rounds of the FA Cup, which means that Charlie has waited a long time for this question to be asked. I'm worried now, Kieran, that producer guy may be sitting on questions about the Royal Engineers' travel expenses. <laughs> or should Scottish fans be worried about Third Lanark going bust? Um, but Charlie Bloxham says, during the Man United-Liverpool FA Cup match from BBC One, the BBC showed the logo for Cognizant below the attempts graphic. I always thought the BBC couldn't show third-party adverts, so why was there an exception here? Um, it, was, it wasn't an exception. Uh, the BBC can't show adverts. I think they just picked up the wrong feed. You know, th- th- ah, this match okay. was being broadcast around the world, and sometimes in terms of the graphics, uh, you, you just make an error. So uh, you know, my, my feel for this is there's no way that the BBC would have been doing this. Um, it, it could potentially be different if he was watching the match uh, overseas. Then, then you'll be coming right. from a different stream. But uh, from a domestic point of view, um, that that's not the case. Yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting question for Charlie, but it's, it's become in recent years almost impossible for the BBC to film round logos and graphics. I mean, I, I remember times when you would interview a manager or a player or a coach and or a fan even, and you'd, you'd ask them to cover up logos on shirts. You know, they, they, somebody would have some gaffer tape to do it, but now it's... It's almost impossible for the BBC not to. I mean, certainly in football, and it's part of the deal that they have to film people in front of big boards full of logos. Um, we have a question now, Kieran, from uh, somebody you obviously know very well, uh, Jack Thompson. And Jack says, as an MBA graduate under Kieran's tuition, what do the San Francisco 49ers bring to the table for Leeds United? The project I completed for Kieran on Massimo Cellino's Leeds seems like a long time ago. Uh, before you answer, Kieran, Probably not. Was he a good student, Jack? He was. He was. He was a great lad. Great was lad. Yeah, diligent. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess he doesn't seem to have heard our our exclusive interview with the Forty Niners chap about Leeds a, a couple of weeks ago. So <laughs> maybe now you've passed him, Kieran. He's less interested than he used to be. So, uh, well, uh, I, yeah. The, the days since Massimo Cellino are, are, I think, are well welcomed. And I think it's fair to say that uh, Jack got stuck in on that particular assignment. Mr. Cellino is, uh, is remembered uh, by, by Leeds United fans, not necessarily with fondness, uh, but uh, in terms of being uh, a bit nuts, uh, he, uh, he was always great copy. For, for everybody concerned, um, was, but was, he the, was he the was he the very superstitious one, Kieran? As well, didn't want number uh, he, thirteen he, shirts. And... He, yeah, he had he had many many foibles. Uh, he was the one that banned Sky Sky cameras from coming to Elland Road because he said that Leeds weren't being paid enough. Uh, uh, he was the one who was suspended from being the uh, director of Leeds by the EFL, and rightly so, owing to. Um, VAT issues relating to a super yacht, um, <laughs> and uh, I like the cut of his jib. That's a yachting yes. reference. There. Yes. Anyway, back to the question, Kieran. Back, back to the question. What do San Francisco Forty ers bring? I, I think it's uh, specifically two issues. First of all, they bring cash. Uh, yeah, they they have bought new shares in Leeds United and that money uh, potentially is being invested in two areas first of all uh, the the infrastructure one of the one of the problems that Leeds United have had is that since the Peter Ridsdale days the club has suffered sort of a, a pass the parcel 
approach by owners who saw it as a distressed asset um, and therefore were trying to make a quick buck by uh, running it for a year or so and, and passing it on to somebody else. Um, and, and when you have that scenario, the one thing that you don't do is put money into the, the key infrastructure areas, training ground um, and, and stadium and facilities, because if you're not going to be there in a year's time, make it somebody else's problem. So that went on for a number of years. I, I think that uh, listening to uh, Parag Marath from, from San Francisco 49ers, um, they are keen to uh, realise Leeds United's potential. So at present, yeah, we're talking about a ground of 36, 37,000 in the Premier League. Um, you know, we're all hoping that we'll be, have 36 or 37,000 people in um, next season. Um, how many could Leeds have? Well, I, I think they could easily go to the 55 to 60 oh, area easily. Yeah, quite easily. easily. If, if West Ham can do it, if Arsenal can do it, if, you know, we've, got, we've got three London clubs with with capacities of over 60,000. You know, Liverpool's moving to 60 and Everton are moving to 54. Leeds is a, is a one-city club and it's a big city. So you know, they could easily uh, substantially increase the, the capacity uh, of Elland Road and also bring in, and, and I hate to say this, that they can bring in more, uh, more of the prawn sandwich brigade uh, appeal mm. Um, in terms of development and commercial boxes and hospitality, um, which whilst you know, whilst us football romantics sort of tut tut at them a bit, um, there, there's no doubt that it's very lucrative. You know, Bayern Munich always say that for the reason why they can offer such cheap season tickets to regular fans is that for, for every one euro that a regular fan brings in, uh, somebody sitting in a box will bring in ten or more. So, so you know, th- there are benefits for all concerned there. So that, that's the first issue. It's simply hard cash. The second benefit, in in my view, is is marketing. Um, San Francisco 49ers is a very high-profile NFL club. Um, it knows how to get its badge, its brand uh, seen all around the world, even though that, that gridiron isn't, you would say, a global sport. Um, my understanding, again, going back to the interview we had with Parag, is that they very much see Leeds as a, a sleeping giant. You know, they, you know, they've had six, they had a sixteen-year period outside of the Premier League, and they know that Leeds uh, still has hot spots of fans all around the world. Can they? Uh, can they accelerate that? Can they expand on that? Well, their experience of marketing, product development, and all of the those sort of soft skill areas, um, I think, is something which they they can bring to Leeds um, and uh, and develop the club in terms of its commercial income. Le- Leeds made thirty million pounds in the championship from commercial income, which is huge by championship standards. There's no doubt about that. And, it, and in, even when they were in the championship, that would have put them in the top 10 of mm. clubs in the Premier League. I think with the San Francisco 49ers' support, they can go from top 10 to you know top seven or eight. You know, they could potentially start to challenge some of those uh, big six clubs themselves. Yeah, I think some of our younger listeners, Kieran, are probably not aware of just what a massive team Leeds were either side of 1970 for a, a decade or so in, in Europe and across the world. And that's left them with a huge legacy of a worldwide fan base, isn't it? Yep, yep, definitely. Um, I mean, my, my next-door neighbour, he's a Leeds United fan. He's he, he's never been north of Watford. 
in terms of living. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 that's yeah that's that's the nature of the the club. Well, let's uh, let's not go down that rabbit hole, Kieran, because you're from Elephant and Castle and you support Brighton. So yeah, let's 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 leave that thread dangling there for a moment, shall we? <laughs> uh, Ed Ritter says, when a manager is sacked and is hired at a new position before his original contract period has expired, is he still paid by the original club until the end of that contract? And do contracts generally have clauses that specify amounts of payout if the coach is terminated either for cause or otherwise? Um, Looking at both parts of that, first of all, contracts vary uh, from manager to manager. Some managers are in a stronger position when they are uh, having a chat with the the chairman of the club in in terms of their appeal. So if, if you are Mourinho, if you are... Um, if you are Jurgen Klopp, you know, if, if somebody's trying to get you, um, then you can, to a certain extent, you can dictate terms because you're already you're already employed or you're already high profile. Um, other managers who are perhaps just joining the profession are not in such a strong position, so therefore they might have to accept, say, a, a three month payoff, even if they sign a three year contract. So it will very much vary from contract to contract. The the general position is that. If you are sacked, um, there will be a period where, should you pick up another job, then your uh, then your payout from the existing team will terminate. So, if if we take a look at Pochettino, uh, when he when he left Spurs, he he says, "Well, I'm on gardening leave." In effect, uh, in terms of Spurs are committed to paying me for I think at least twelve months, uh, and. If if I if if I do get a job during that period under the terms of my contract, I'm going to lose all that money. Why don't you go and spend some time with the family? Mm. And, and you know that that's why you do see some managers perhaps taking uh, a bit more time out. And, and people saying, "Well, yeah, why hasn't he gone to Club X or Club Y?" Well, it's it's because he can afford to because he's continuing to be paid. Now, Kieran, you know when it comes to pronouncing names, I'm I'm normally quite fearless. It doesn't matter if I can't speak Swedish or Romanian. I'll still dive in and give the pronunciation a go. Um, this name, uh, it's thrown me completely, and I do apologise to Callum. It could be Dargavel. It could be Dargavel. It could be one of those posh names that it's just dull. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but Callum Dargavel, uh, please let me know how you pronounce it, Callum, because it's... It turns out Ali doesn't know, even my wife, and she's getting fed up with me asking her. Uh, basically, that's how I work. If I don't know something, I'll ask Ali just, and just keep asking until she comes up with some sort of answer. Um, how do sell-on clauses work with bonus payments? And Callum, however you pronounce his surname, has got quite a devious mind, as you'll find oh, out. Oh, he has, hasn't he? Yes. Does money get activated in dribs and drabs as bonuses activate, or does the clause only cover the main fee? If so, could you to spite a club you owe a sell-on fee to, sell a player for only a pound with the rest of the fee to come as bonuses. He's, he's Monty Burns it, in he terms is, of coming. He is very, yeah. Um, it, the way that it would normally operate is that if you're entitled to a sell-on fee, you are entitled to a percentage of the total amount received by the club to whom you sell the player. So, so therefore, and this is to specifically address uh, the, the the issue that Callum raises. Um, so, let's say that um, you sell a player for, uh, or you you 
buy a player for now you sell a player for 10 million plus you're entitled to 20% of any profits mm. the club to whom you sell sells that player for 15 million pounds initially so you get 20% of the profits you get 20% of 5 million which is 1 million and then there are further step payments when he is paid played 20, 40, 60 games, if you get some international caps, if they win a trophy, you again would be the beneficiary um, every time that those items clicked in. Because I I was reading, I think uh, there there was one club who'd sold a a player to Brentford um, and then Brentford have just been promoted. So therefore they've got to go and uh, pay this, uh, the the original owner of the player, uh, an additional fee. So, So it is very much... Uh, linked to the total amount received and it it is done in drips and drabs Um, sometimes the uh, sometimes the buying club especially if it uh, if if it's in a stronger financial position than the selling club will offer uh, a payout and and, uh, to to walk away because I remember when when Brighton sold Gareth Barry to Aston Villa um initially i think it was for it was a 500,000 pounds and then there was a series of sell-ons and then villa came back and said well i tell you what we know that you, we know that you've got financial problems um we will give you another 500,000 pounds for gareth, gareth barry call it a million but you don't have any of the sell-ons and of course they then sold him uh, and made a big profit and kept all of that profit themselves mm-hmm. and that that's business mm-hmm. kurt smith <clears throat> excuse me kurt smith has the sort of question that you love, Kieran, basically straightforward down the line. Can you give us an insight into the finances of my beloved Nottingham Forest? Is the owner all he's cracked up to be? Is our future secure? I, I thought Kurt Smith was the singer in Tears for Fears. He was the singer in Tears for Fears. I, it, I doubt very. Well, it could be the same Kurt Smith, this quite an, or somebody yeah. who's who he might have been conceived to the sound of Tears for Fears. In which case, we've probably really worried him. Now, <laughs> he's, probably do, he's probably doing that worried face emoji. Uh, yes. Yeah. But, yes, it's a good question. I know this is the sort of question that you like doing some straightforward research into club finances. Um, a very good friend of mine, Matt Ford, is a, a Forest fan, so he'll be interested in this as well. Not that he'll be awake at this moment, but uh, it's a good question. Yes. Um, the, the position of Forest is they are a classic case of a club that has been trapped in the championship for probably too long. Yeah. Um, And that means that over the course of the last decade, they have lost £200 million because in the championship – if if you want to be able to to put together a squad which is going to be competitive, it's a very expensive business. Clubs there are losing money mm. um, left, right, and centre. Um, now they've probably recouped about a quarter of that from player sales, but it still means that you know, there's been significant losses made, which has meant that the uh, the club has effectively had to go to the owner. Um, now the when I when I looked at uh, the slightly unfortunately named NF Football Investments Limited, mm. um, uh, they appeared to have owner loans of around about seventy two million pounds. So clearly, the present owner, uh, who is Greek, I believe, um, he uh, he has backed the club. Um, he is also keen to develop the ground. We hope, so both of those are positives, um, at, but it's. If he wants to get his money back, he's re- realistically 
he's not going to get it back whilst Forrester in the championship. You know, if he's if he's already put in seventy two million, and that was pre COVID, then I suspect that that uh, his loans have substantially increased since then. Um, so uh, it, it's it's a case of the club is being underwritten by the owner. He appears to have plenty of money on the basis of you know if you don't have a lot of money, you wouldn't have lent the club seventy two million pounds in the first place. Um, but uh, that's that's the, that would be my assessment. You know, Forest. I'm, I'm I'm amazed that they have not been competing for playoff mm. places at least mm. um, in in recent years because. Yeah, again, we're sounding like a pair of old farts here. You and I can both remember Forrest winning the, the the equivalent of the Premier League and the and the European Cup twice, and, and they were they were they had a fantastic record in the League Cup as well. Um, but uh, you know, they've they've had to settle for more modest ambitions recently. Yeah, I was about to say to us romantics, Forrest are a team that should be in the Premier League, but I'm also very aware that if every team. I thought should be in the Premier League romantically should was in there. It would be a very top heavy pyramid. There's, there's, yes. We've got seems to have an eighty six team Premier League down here. Um, the Swiss uh, model, we could. Call the Swiss, it. indeed, we can. The Swiss model. Um, let's now go down that road. Let's go down a road that takes us into uh, further into Nottinghamshire. And I like to think that Guy has actually lumped these two questions together because they are in the same county. But I think that might be optimistic as well. Uh, Nathan Edge says that when my team, Mansfield Town, faced Bolton in League Two, Skybet streamed the match for three to those with a Skybet account, which costs nothing to create. Now, did the clubs get anything for this? Because you'd guess, as Nathan says, that many fans may have chosen the free option on Skybet over paying the £10 iFollow fee. Yes, there's there's no doubt that Skybet, remember who do sponsor the the EFL, mm. um, that some money would have gone through to the two clubs involved. Because if we take a look at Bolton, um, their iFollow uh, numbers have at times been absolutely spectacular. Yeah. They had up yeah, to yeah. six thousand people um, watching individual matches, and, and actually, no, that's that's six thousand subscribers. And many of those subscribers will, of course, be households, so there could be considerably more yes, than, than that number of people actually physically watching the matches. Um, therefore, they would have been entitled to some financial compensation. Now, whether this is uh, an additional money given to the EFL by Skybet or whether it is part of Skybet's overall compensation package, sponsorship package for the EFL, um, I'm, not, I'm not so certain. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's fairly well known that relations between uh, the EFL and me aren't perhaps as good as they could be. Hmm. Um, so I, I didn't bother to, to, to actually ask the question of them. But uh, the, the two clubs involved uh, in terms of Mansfield and Bolton, um, they, they would have had some form of compensation because otherwise, as Nathan rightly said, you're not going to pay a tenner when you can get something for nothing. Yes. Do you know what? Maybe we should get producer guy to ask the EFL questions on your behalf or get you one of those fake noses and moustaches so beloved of Family Guy, and, and you could just turn up at the EFL headquarters and ask the question, and they'll go, looks a bit familiar, but it can't be Kieran Maguire. He's banned. Um, <laughs> our penultimate question is one that seems to fascinate football fans, which is why I'm happy to clarify it every six months or so. Uh, Elliot Brown has asked it. And Elliot says, is it possible for a player to own or part-own a club that competes in the same league in which he plays? 
No. And and the reason for that is that there would be a potential conflict of mm. interest if you have um, ownership of a club. It could be, for example, last day of the season, one of those clubs is going for promotion or trying to avoid relegation. And if you are deemed to be an owner or a part owner, then um, you know where where ultimately do your loyalties lie? Mm. Uh, I know we've mentioned him once already. Um, remember, there is still the outstanding issue of did Gareth Barry at one point indirectly uh, potentially own Swindon Town yes, Football course. Club, um, yeah. and there have been developments with regards to that story over the course of this week. Um, the uh, the Swindon owner Lee Power, uh, he's been accused of. Uh, uh, I think it's about £4.8 million of additional money owed mm. to Michael Standing has has not been included in the book. So there's been some that, – that, that one is uh, – that one will continue to run and run and, and hats off to uh, Swindon Town Supporters Trust for reporting on that on a day-by-day mm-hmm. -day basis. Yep. It's, it's, it's proper Perry Mason stuff as far as I'm concerned. Yes, absolutely. And we'll cover that in more detail on Wednesday's pod. Um this one's already a long pole already, so we haven't got time to explain who Perry Mason is. But even I had to remind myself there, Kieran. But that's fine. I would have, I would have, I would have gone Ironside for famous lawyer. But even that's a long time ago. Um, <laughs> our final question comes from Apu Vyas, uh, and I apologise in advance, Apu, because if I had my way, we would be discussing this issue for as long as we've talked about economics on the pod, but unfortunately we won't be able to. But Apu Vaya says um, he has a podcast uh, around Asians in football. So underrepresentation is a topic that intrigues him, uh, quite rightly so. In an interview this season, Harry Redknapp claims that he got his nephew Frank Lampard the Derby job by phoning Mel Morris to recommend him and also phoned Ipswich just in case. That's a matter of record. Harry's always been happy to... to tell people that. Uh, Apu says, at what point does meeting a potential manager become an interview? And what are the penalties in the EFL, if any, for not following the Rooney rule? Well, sadly, Apu, we don't actually have a Rooney rule in English football. But this question does throw some insight into how football is still run in some places. There's still an element of the old-fashioned meeting in the motorway service station to how football is run in this country, Kieran, even with the huge amounts of finance involved. Yes. I mean, first of all, I think we've got to give credit to the EFL because they do have a, a Rooney rule. They, they? they did introduce that. When did they um, do that? Yep. Yeah. yeah it, it's, it's, it seems to have gone under the radar. It certainly um, has because it's but, something, uh, something I've been yeah, arguing for for ages. That's brilliant. Well done. Um, it's, uh, it, it's, but it's two cheers. As opposed to three, you know. So you know, and here, yeah, here I am praising the EFL yet again. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, I, I think it is a progressive thing. But if uh, if if there is no shortlist, or if the club chooses to interview only one candidate, then the Rooney Rule does not apply. So it can be circumvented, and therefore the the scenario whereby uh, you know, let's say that Harry Redknapp phones up Mel Morris, says, "You know, my nephew Frank, he's he's a good sort. Um, uh, you know, give, give him a try." And Mel says, "Well, I was going to advertise the job more formally, but instead, here we are. We'll, we'll give it to Frank Lampard." Under those circumstances, the Rooney Rule doesn't apply. There is no Rooney Rule in in the Premier League, though. So, yeah, you know, I think that's you know the EFL here are ahead. Um, in terms of when does a chat become an interview, 
Um, yeah, unfortunately, uh, that that applies to all jobs. I, I've I've had meetings with people which I thought were just a, you know, a business chat, yeah. and at the end of it, I appear to have been offered a job um, by by stealth. So sometimes sometimes that's that could be the approach of the people involved. What they're trying to do is to sound you out. To, to, to see whether they like you, whether they can work with you. And uh, you didn't even realise it was a job interview. It was more of an informal process that you've been through. Yes, the BBC, they call them cappuccino chats. Um, I didn't, I didn't, I'm seriously concerned by the fact, Kieran, that this went so far under the ra- radar. I had no idea the EFL had a Rooney rule of any sort. So t- to answer Apu's question then, if, if there is, um, an interview with five or six candidates and none of them uh, obey the Rooney rule. Are there any financial penalties for that? Um, we, we've not seen anything to date. Right. So I think, I think it's a case to wait and see. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've got, uh, I've got the EFL constitution in front of me, its governance rules, which are very comprehensive, but I can't see anything. But, you know, un- until you're charged, then then we can't work out sort of the nature of the uh, of the penalty. Mm. Do you always have the EFL governance rules in front of you, Kieran? Twenty three hours a day out of twenty four. <laughs> we end, Kieran, as we started with some news, exciting news. I'll have you know, on Thursday, the tenth of June. That's this Thursday coming at seven thirty. We are having an end of season pre Euros Price of Football podcast quiz. Prizes will include include copies of our books, and you'll get the chance to see both of us and producer Guy and enjoy meeting up with the Price of Football family. Guy loves talking about the Price of Football family. <laughs> That's because he hasn't got an Uncle Terry, basically. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or indeed, an Uncle Donnie, like I have. He wouldn't be anywhere near as keen as in Clarence and the Price of Football family if Uncle Terry and Uncle Donnie were to turn up. Um, but nevertheless, we are doing one of our um, irregular uh, quizzes, on Thursday, which I always look forward to very much. And if some of our patrons have been wondering what exactly they get for their money, then you will be getting an emailed invite. That's not bad, is it? You'll get an actual emailed invite. The rest of you, chick, check, chick, check, chick, check, Kieran's feed on <laughs> Twitter, uh, which I believe you, you tweeted this morning, the feed with yes. the details, yeah, yeah. which is great. Um, so if you really fancy that special email invitation and you want to make a small monthly contribution, Go to patreon.com forward slash price of football. As I say, the rest of you, please check Kieran's Twitter feed. We've, uh, I think last time we had about 170 people playing across the world. Uh, Kieran sets the questions. They are interesting questions, to say the least. You always, you, they're very good questions. And Kieran puts a lot of imagination into writing questions. I imagine you've got a question spreadsheet set out, Kieran. I, mean, <laughs> I might have, might have. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I've I've already mentioned it, of course, to Ali. Uh, she and she went, "Oh God, is it going to be a question about me?" And I'm like, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course be, there is. It'll be ha- on a scale of one to ten. How beautiful is Ali? That's the question. <laughs> that didn't impress her. Um, and of course, if you have any questions uh, about any aspect of the world of football finance at all, then send those to questions at priceoffootball.com. We'll be back on Wednesday with maybe more news for Southampton. Certainly more news for Swindon Town fans. Uh, and then we will see you. We'll actually see you on Thursday, the 10th of June for the quiz. And who knows, after this one, maybe the next quiz we do, Kieran, will actually be in public, in a theatre, with some of our lovely listeners actually live 
in the seats to look at and talk to. Wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> that would be great. Uh, I think I think they'll next hear from us on Thursday rather than Wednesday. They will, Kieran. You're absolutely right to point out. <laughs> you got me yeah. worried. <laughs> no, I'm only yeah, I'm, just let out this. I'm only too quick to point out, for example, when you've got Milton Keynes, Dons and whatever the other club was mixed up. <laughs> it's, a long, it's a long time ago. I'll, I'll check when I have No, gone. Uh, but no, yes, it'll be yes, Thursday morning. You'll hear from us. Uh, I don't know how so much of our week is taken up with this podcast here, and people don't it is. fully understand. <laughs> Neither of us know we're both we're like two counts of Monte Cristo here. Counts of Monte Cristo, I said. Uh, so I will hand you over to Kieran <laughs> for his his usual farewell, and we will both we'll see you on we'll see you on Thursday. That's yeah, we'll see you Thursday. See you Thursday. Bye, yeah, whatever. Yeah. 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 And uh, producer guy says we will have some uh, additional prizes for our Patreon subscribers as well. So, oh, okay, um, we will uh, sort that out. We, we, it could be could be a signed photo of myself and Kevin. Um, in, in which case, uh, Patreon, Patreon subscribing numbers will collapse. <laughs> Not only we get any new ones, we're getting people unsubscribing from Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, again, folks, thank you very much for your support and feedback. Uh, we, we do take notice. And uh, I, I know Keith Gray from Newcastle does put this on practically every Twitter uh, post that either myself or Kevin make. We, we are monitoring the position at Newcastle. Um, it, it would make sense if we waited for, for cuddly Mike Ashley to, to publish the accounts. Uh, and I have seen, uh, in fact, over the last 24 to 48 hours, there's more talk about a resurrection of the deal. So it would probably make a better idea to uh, to sort of summarise everything then. Um, Other than that, uh, if you could give us a review on on Apple, um, on that big purple icon button, um, and uh, give us five stars. As I say we always say it helps us in the charts. Myself and Kevin, we don't understand why, but but producer mm. guy was, and that's why he's the brains of the outfit and keeps all the money. Other than that, look after yourselves, and we'll see you soon. That's exciting news to end on for Newcastle fans, Kieran. Well done. We've got Newcastle, Southampton, and Swindon fans all waiting, baited breath for the next pod. Well done. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. I'm for the